Hello everyone, my name is Theodor Gaspar, I'm the managing editor of the McGill International Review, and welcome to the MIR podcast. In what was arguably the most significant European election of 2023, the Polish people rejected the right-wing Law and Justice Party, also known as PIS, after eight years of democratic backsliding, curbing of women's and minority rights, and Eurosceptic government. The administration that is expected to succeed Mateusz Morawiecki's PIS government will likely be a diverse coalition spanning from the left to the center-right. It is anticipated to be led by Donald Tusk, who has previously served as both the Prime Minister of Poland and the President of the European Council. The upcoming government is expected to significantly alter the political leadership and direction of the Visegrad Four's largest country. I sat down with Wojciech Przybylski, the CEO of the Respublika Foundation and editor-in-chief of Visegrad Insight, the biggest think tank on the Visegrad Group, as well as Agnieszka Homanska, the manager of the Europe on Edge project within Visegrad Insight, and a last-year student in international relations at the University of Warsaw, and a visiting student at our very own McGill University in 2024. Wojciech Probilski and Agnieszka Homanska, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me today. Hi, it's good to be with, uh, with your podcast. Thank you so much. Hello. So today we will be talking about the results of the Polish election and its implications for uh, the EU. But first, can you help me understand the results? So in Canada, it is usually the party that has the most seats in parliament, even if it is not a majority, that forms government. Um, however... Um, when we look at Poland, law and justice, the incumbent won 194 seats, while the European Council president, Donald Tusk's civic coalition, won merely 157 seats. Yet nearly all international reporting claimed that this was an upset for PIS and declared Tusk victorious. Why? Well, there is a difference between winning the election by the number of seats or, or percent of votes and the actual ability to form a government. Right now, the PIS, so uh, Law and Justice Party, the party that was the biggest party in the today's, still today's ruling coalition from the right and, uh, yes, from, from the right wing uh, part, as you said, won the, won the majority of votes. However, they are unable to form any um, kind of coalition that would have a majority in the lower chamber in same in our parliament. Therefore, this is why uh, no, it's not only about civic platform, so the biggest opposition party, but about the democratic opposition, which is composed by three parties. Uh, so the civic coalition with civic platform as the biggest party inside a coalition. Uh, the third way, so Poland 2050 and uh, Polish uh, like Pe- People's Party um, and uh, the left, they together have the possibility of having 248 seats, so the majority, because our in our same and in, in the lower chamber, we have 460 seats, so divided by half and a half, 50, that would be 230. And PIS having only around 190 is unable to have any kind of coalition, because actually there is no such a party that is willing to form a coalition that would be governing later uh, because also we have other minor parties that were before in the ruling coalition Uh, so a sovereign poland that uh, already is thinking about saying goodbye to pis 
some smaller parties like uh, Renewal of the Public of Poland and the Republicans. Um, but we also have something that is really interesting, meaning the far right, uh, the Confederation and Independent. And they uh, underperformed. They were supposed to, I mean, the polls were saying that they would gain much, much more percent. However, they only got around 8%. Uh, and uh, even if they were willing to enter into the coalition with the PIS, it will still mean a minority government. And such a minority government isn't able to get the confidence vote. Wojciech, would you add something? I just in this, as a summary, I, I have to underscore that the opposition was running in three blocks, but they were from the very beginning saying that they will form a government and they're running to remove PIS from power. So the coalition potential of PIS has been limited from the onset of this election. And eventually, well, that's what they got. They did not get uh, enough seats to have a simple majority as they used to. And, and the coalition partner, uh, I think I would it would be fair to say extreme right, mixed with far right of Confederacia, simply does not have the numbers, even if they had the will, which they say they wouldn't have the will to form a government with PIS, Law and Justice Party. You've both mentioned that these are different coalitions that were running against uh, PIS. Um, how many parties are we talking about here that would be forming government? Because all three of the formations, I believe, are made up of multiple parties themselves. Well, Agnieszka mentioned that already. And uh, I think it's important to say that it's not the opposition that won, but also the Law and Justice Party, the United Right, which has been comprised of several registered parties, smaller factions. And these big blocks were running under one umbrella. But have you calculated them all? Yes, I have, and I have already enlisted some of them. But what is the most important to exactly from what Wojciech said is that we have, you, you can say that we have like three biggest groups. So the ruling coalition, the United Right, with law and justice as the biggest and the most, uh, let's say, important party. Then we have the um, civic coalition with civic platform, whose uh, Donald Tusk is the leader of this uh, of this uh, party. And then we have, uh, oh, sorry, actually four. So we have the third way with uh, Trzecia Droga, with uh, Poland 2050 and Polish People's Party. And they joined together this year with a threshold of 8%. Uh, because they decided to enter, um, to try to enter uh, with uh, as a coalition with such a threshold, and they actually uh, performed very well, way better than they were uh, thought at the beginning to do. And then we have the left, which is also composed of different three or actually four uh, left parties, and uh, the extreme right, as Wojciech said, so the Confederation, which is uh, Confederation Liberty and Independence, which is the biggest, but then we have also some little, little ones. There was also one uh, interesting party that I would like to mention, and it was about nonpartisan local government activists, Bezpartyjni Samorządowcy, and it was a political movement that was operating at a local government level, and it was supposed to actually help PIS, but I'm not really sure if they eventually did so. 
Yeah. So in comparison to many other Central European countries, like Slovakia, for instance, we do not have such a fragmentation of political scene, even though formally speaking, there are so many political entities or political parties. They tend to stick to one big block. That's probably a long experience, you know, with solidarity movements, united mm. we stand, divided we fall, uh, that kind of message. And Poland so far has been able to put under bigger umbrella a number of this very diverse uh, set of political parties and, and their preferences. And I think what is also important here to mention is that we every party that wants to enter into um, parliament has to have at least 5%. So 5% is this threshold. And in 1991, we didn't have this law. So we had a lot of different small parties, such as, for example, in, in the Netherlands. However, right now, this is also the reason why, as Wojciech uh, just explained, why they are rather grouped. Um, so you both mentioned that this was somewhat a vote against PIS more so in some cases than uh, a vote for any of these political formations, at least to, to a certain extent. Um, could you talk about the main issues that dominated this, uh, this election? Um, was it m maybe a vote against like democratic backsliding or a certain uh, revocation of certain social rights or a religion? Well, what kind of topics were people choosing their, their votes on based on? Well, I would say that this was mostly about the emotions. So it was not exactly about the points. Yeah, I hear, here I see that you can also touch upon that more. But... No, I, I agree with what you say and I'll have some amendments. <laughs> okay, perfect. So it was about the emotions. It was about rather the frustration, um, as you mentioned. Um, this could be also seen in a turnout. It was a historic turnout that never happened here. Uh, after uh, 1989, so when we, you know, get back, um, get the democracy back. And this turnout, 74.4%, uh, was about people feeling frustrated and wanting the change, saying goodbye to a uh, government that is uh, leaning towards authoritarianism. It was about women. It was about women rights. It was about abortion that was banned two years ago by um, our um, tribunal, our constitutional tribunal, which is actually not really operating uh, independently. It was about uh, the media propaganda a little bit. So some people saw that there, there are some narratives that we don't like, that we don't uh, follow. And um, it was about, well, our place in Europe and European Union, um, our relations with Brussels, our relations with NATO, with Ukraine, with Ukrainian people. But those, uh, the latter points that I mentioned is rather about people who, let's say, care more, who follow the news, who know really what is happening. But for those people, for the majority of the, of the citizens, it was rather about the the emotions. It was about, rather about saying who's going to be better, who's going to be worse. And actually, the ruling party didn't really have any ideas how to play this out. So they were trying to say that Donald Tusk is a uh, person working for Germany and that the, the, the democratic opposition just wants to put more migrants into Poland because Brussels says so. So there was a lot of hatred and a lot of... Uh, big big uh points and statements but still playing on emotions whereas uh the civic coalition for example chose as a symbol a symbol of heart that was put here as a sticker 
saying we have like we are compassionate, we care about each other, we want to stop this narrative of, of hatred. And now the the, the amendments. <laughs> the amendments are are the following because Agnieszka explained what I think drove a lot of people, and especially in the opposition, for for the vote. The um, the exit polls uh, survey indicated that the motions related to uh, be it the rule of law or reproductive rights, uh, also number of issues that related to the European Union, which are so abstract that they have to be symbolic and they captured some of the political emotions in Poland. They were really important and decisive for many people. But unsurprisingly, for majority of people who went to vote, it was the economic situation. And I think the mix of these two was primarily uh, the real factor behind, behind the eventual choice of the Polish people. You had in all, all across the, the main parties, the, 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 the three that were the top parties, so law and justice, the incumbent government, the main opposition party led by Donald Tusk, and the coalition that Agnieszka so uh, well described in a moment ago, the th third way coalition, they, their electorate primarily chose, okay, the people who voted for them indicated that their primary vote, primary key issue, key issue in this vote was the economic situation. And then they differed enormously. For PIS, half of the vote was about security. The question of, you know, whether Poland is secure or not. And it has to do with a lot of factors there. But for all the people who voted for the opposition, these were then very diverse set of issues that Agnieszka already mentioned. And they were also playing out differently. The kind of the distribution of preference and emotions in both parties was also a little bit different, which enabled them to mobilize a bit different groups. There were transfers between them. They were stealing voters from one another, but primarily they were mobilizing new voters and they were also taking some of the undecided or formerly PIS um, electorate, which I think largely contributed to the overall electoral result. The government fundamentally lost this election. Agnieszka was very right to point out that they were absolutely lost in the communication. This was nothing like we've seen in 2015 or 19, even with the helping hand of Viktor Orban, as the press report uh, came out a few days ago. They were unable to pull out the narratives that would dominate the discourse, and they were very much in defensive. But the main two topics that were, again, overarching, apart also from economy, it's a quality of life. It's basically people are asked in the same exit poll, is your life better than eight years ago? And majority of people said, no, it's not better. It's worse or it's significantly worse. And that was a no-confidence vote for PIS. Not necessarily because of economic situation. Our economy is quite all right. And despite inflation, there are big prospects. It's a thriving economy continuously, which is economically miraculous for the, for the past 30 years. But it's a sense of values, sense of conflict and polarization that drive people crazy. And this made people vote for something else. And the other issue Agnieszka also mentioned, and I wanted to underline this, 
is the relationship with the European Union and overall the attitude. How do we how do we work in the European Union as Poland? And the majority of preference was again for the collaborative way of moving forward rather than standing aside with our whatever principled but alone position in the block of the EU. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much. I will get back to questions about the EU. I think that's a very important topic to touch on how that's going to change. But just uh, one more question about understanding the dynamics. You've talked about the issues and about the emotions that drove people. Is there a particular group or are there particular groups of people that voted PIS out of power? Is it young people or women or educated people or uh, are there certain demographic groups that were much more opposed to PIS than others? Well, I think it's a combination of, first of all, like the the general turnout. Um, second of all, it's also very much about the, about the third way, because as I as I mentioned before, they really had to have those 8% and they had more than 14% because people who wanted to vote for uh, for the, the civic coalition, for democratic uh, opposition in general, um, they were to some extent hesitant because they were also afraid that if they don't vote for the third way, then the third way won't, won't make in and then the, the opposition wouldn't have the majority. But it was also very much, as Wojciech said, about the undecised, the, an undecised one. So people were thinking, okay, PIS is a no, no more after those eight years, but also uh, civic platform, all the left, no, uh, Donald Tusk, no, who should we vote for? We don't know. And uh, by the very day of the elections, there was a big group around 10, 10% who still were the undecided group. And this is a group that actually mostly voted for the opposition and for the third way as well. Uh, however, when you mentioned women and uh, young voters, so first time voters, predominantly around 1.5 million uh, this year, um, it was something really surprising. When it comes to women, uh, they constitute 52% uh, of all the votes. And uh, there were the two or three biggest uh, go-to-vote campaign were about women, about telling them that you have a right to vote and you can actually change the government. So they really, I don't remember the figures, maybe maybe you remember, but, but they really went there and they really voted and they were mostly, but maybe, they were rather not voting for the PIS. And when it comes to uh, first-time voters and young generation in general, they uh, they scored more than sixty percent uh, in the youngest cohort, which uh, is again something that was not seen before. And it was about this frustration about uh, just being ready to say no, but not really knowing because they don't really feel the sense of being represented in the parliament. But again the the emotions the economic situation as Wojciech said the the prospects for for the future for staying in Poland for working in Poland for living in Poland uh for having children in Poland also was something that young people decided to go and vote for rather rather opposition some voted for left but here again it was really interesting if you dig deep in in the left they were rather, people were in general rather voting for the new left, so the, the, the left that is uh, 
um, the younger left, the, the left that does not really have those relations as the left from the communist times, than this, uh, those older structures. Um, and well, some of the young voters went and uh, cast uh, their ballot for the, the, the far, the, the, the extreme right, so Confederacia. Um, however, also interestingly, they were more willing to uh, choose Confederacia before indicating in the polls because uh, the, um, the politicians were um, traveling across Poland, drinking beer and saying great things about low taxes and possibility to gain money, have barbecues, children and cars and so on and so forth. But actually, you could see it from the polls when holiday period ended and people went back to work, students went back to university or to school, the polls started to go down for uh, Confederacia because also people started maybe paying more attention to other things than just drinking beer and thinking about low taxes. But it was also about the fact that some people were more eager to say, oh, okay, I'm going to vote for them, but not really as eager to really do this for the sake, maybe of Poland, maybe of future, or maybe it was just um, an embarrassment because in some circles, voting for PIS is really not longer an embarrassment. Voting for Confederacia, for some sociologists, from some research, you can still see that it can be an embarrassment. I may just jump in and, and say just a few words about PIS electorate. The Law and Justice Party in Poland has been, by, uh, let's say, electoral geography, located primarily in the southeast of Poland. So on the borders of the, basically on the former territories of Habsburg and Russian Empire. And these territories match uh, nearly, nearly 90% um, to the preference for the law and justice, for the for the conservative uh, parties, throughout the past thirty years, when we since we had the 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 free elections, now that's one differentiating factor. The other, unsurprisingly, that kind of agenda speaks primarily to the smaller settlements rather than the big urban centers. And thirdly, it's the oldest cohort. It's uh, essentially pensioner uh, cohort is decisively voting for PIS with huge numbers and advantage uh, points here. And and last but not least, uh, uh, the groups that are youngest, as Agnieszka described, basically have all the choices except for, for PIS. I think they were not really voting for PIS. What happened and was really surprising is that PIS did a reverse gerrymandering in these elections. That is, they did not update districts as required by law in order to make districts that are leaning towards PIS weight more. Basically, the purchase power of their vote was mm -hmm. higher, was bigger than in more uh, urban centers and in the more populated areas where people are leaning towards the liberal side. And... PIS never, never, nevertheless lost it. So you had a huge imbalance in this, uh, in this respect. Secondly, they have initiated a new law on the lo electoral law in which there was, a, it was a handicap for those living in more remote areas to have additional ballot boxes, ballot stations, voting stations. 
And the big surprise of these elections was that PIS did not win in the smallest constituencies and the, um, and the votes unexpectedly were taken from them and the opposition overall was having an advantage there and PIS eventually, you know, by doing so, did not score the points they wanted. So, yeah, so to sum up, it's not only about the gender or age or education, but also, as Wojciech said, it's a set of other different things like geography, like uh, the, the law and uh, the disproportionate distribution of uh, how the votes were um, later counted. And I think this describes pretty well the whole um, pretty complicated um, information about the turnout and the results. To me, it sounds like you're both talking about how like this was backfiring against PIS, that they were aiming for this to, to benefit them and end up going against. I have a question that's broader about not just the, the electoral system itself, but also in general, the election. So a few days after the election, uh, Martin Volsky of the state broadcaster said, and I quote, we produced worse propaganda than under communism. Um, and a number of organizations, such as the Council of Europe, have expressed concern about the fairness of these elections. So my question to you is, are these accusations grounded? Were these elections free and fair, including the system, but also obviously bigger than system questions? No, they were not fair. They were free, or partly free, if you consider that competition, unfair competition allows for free elections. But we had... Uh, a number of issues that I already mentioned is reverse gerrymandering was one. Uh, you had the referendum campaign, Viktor Orban copy-paste idea, basically China model of you know running the country, pretending that you listen to the people. But in fact, it had a, a very particular electoral purpose of uh, untapping a, a potential of funding that for referendum does not have limitations when it comes to spending for the campaign. And the referendum was taking, taking place on the same day. It was also problematic for smaller settlements for people to vote in the referendum differently, or even to show up and, and not to take a referendum card because in the eyes of the smaller communities, that would mean that they are, that they are disclosing their preference against majority in this smaller settlement, which would be for PIS. You had... Um, Lombast spending for the public TV from taxpayer money that was not public for the past eight years. And exactly, it was worse than communist propaganda in, in a way of running a smear campaign, polarization, dividing the society. You know, I'm not sorry for the party members who got really their backs beaten in virtually on the screen and in radio that much as for the effect it had on Polish families, Polish voters, and the divisions that run now deeper than ever before, which is, of course, a global story. But this was funded by taxpayer money, and that was unfair, um, and it was basically fraudulent, and hopefully this case will be brought up into light and uh, evaluated by independent panel of judges. And with all the other elements, including surveillance, electronic and eavesdropping surveillance that has compromised electoral campaigns in the past and miraculously did not compromise this campaign, uh, PIS has had an advantage like any 
dictatorial power has in many other countries, despite Poland is a democracy, um, that uh, lead a lot of people, including observers from OSC, to say that exactly the elections were not fair. And yet there were one. And the only comparison, at least in Polish history, is to 1989 elections that were hardly free and totally unfair. But yet the society was stronger than the political institutions and made their choice. So I think what we're seeing in Poland is also a beginning of dismantling and experimenting and building up democracy um, from the start when it comes to you know impartial public services uh, to begin with. Um, you've mentioned Viktor Orban on a number of occasions now. Um, so what does this election mean, assuming that the opposition is going to be able to form a coalition government I mean, for the EU, and will they be an ally to other major players in European politics? Is Viktor Orban now isolated? What, how are the dynamics in the European Union going to change as a result of this election? Well, first of all, these elections, I'll, I'll start, and Agnieszka, maybe now you, you add your points okay. and, and uh, protocols. Uh, I'll start by saying that the elections in Poland definitely meant a lot for Viktor Orban. He started to make funny moves immediately. Of course, these were pre-planned meetings, but he sent Mr. Siarto to Moscow, then he went to Beijing to shake hands, to show off in a way. Well, showing off his dependency on bigger autocratic players is not, not a really a way forward in Europe, but still um, uh, it was sending a message that he stands apart and he has his own independent agenda, which we all knew before, but PIS, the, the government in Poland for the past eight years, was uh, playing a fool and uh, accepted most of the policies that Budapest was uh, proposing or leading on in terms of EU. That included budget, migration, um, the, the question of rule of law, uh, the questions related to Ukraine. Eventually, if PIS had won that election, we would hear much more of the narrative and rhetoric of Viktor Orban towards Ukraine than we ever heard in, in the past uh, year and a half of that war, at least. The IS government was no, no big friend with, with Kiev and, and Ukraine in, in the previous years. But since the onset of the war, Polish society left no other option for the government but to play, play nice and make um, all the necessary and deliver all the necessary help um, and be a hub also of transportation for Ukraine, which Hungary was reluctant to, to deliver. So that clearly leaves Viktor Orban isolated. Well, he's got a new friend in Bratislava, an old new friend, uh, Mr. Fico. But, uh, but this sort of friendship and the potential that Poland was offering by doing things or by not doing things uh, leaves less room for maneuver for, for Budapest. Although, and that was kind of expected already before. For sure, one thing we knew, for, we learned from this campaign, we know now, is that Viktor Orban has been sending his aides, political marketing specialists and advisors, to, uh, to advise on the political campaign of the law and justice in Poland. And that terribly misfired. I think that, apart from all other topics, will have serious consequences. Because if Viktor Orban gives you a helping hand, and he actually overblows it. And it doesn't work. It, 
This works terribly, as you were quoting Mr. Volsky, who said that they overdid it with propaganda. Indeed, it was about 16 to 18% of the PIS voters who thought that the migrants are really important, they're storming our borders. And this is why we should vote for PIS. But this is only 16 to 18%. And in, in the opposition, that message was important as a key, key message to about 1.5% of the voters. So this is how it terribly misfired. And it terribly brought the dem dem demise of, um, of such a useful idiot government that we have had in Poland. For, from the point of view of Budapest. Yeah, I think it's it's enough of, of Orban and Hungary's uh, point of view, but he also mentioned Europe in general and, and the European stage. So I'm going to quote, uh, Financial Times said after the elections that it, were, it was the, the most important election uh, this year on this continent. And Poland is uh, one of the biggest and the most important countries in the European Union that can finally go back to the pro-European path. Uh, Politico uh, underlined that it was a tremendous uh, loss for PIS. Um, vice head of the EPP uh, from the European Parliament uh, said on Twitter or X that Poland is back. So basically everywhere um, in the West, there is this sense of um, of relief that Poland is going to change the trajectory that it was uh, going before with the United Right. And with next four years, it will be rather the same path or even, even worse uh, path uh, than uh, it uh, used to be uh, before. Um, however, there is also one thing that we have uh, to, or we must not forget about, it's our president, because uh, President Duda is a uh, president who is uh, rather cooperating, or who was rather cooperating with the uh, incumbent government, and therefore there might be some obstacles. He can be like this person that is going to put the foot in the door when a new government is going to, to start to, to change something and uh, this is also about the fact that we cannot think that right now Poland will be the most pro-European country that is going to be very people will be very happy and we will cooperate perfectly with Brussels of course not because as we mentioned at the beginning we have all those things that we have to first rebuild we have to build the coalition the ruling coalition it will take time most probably by by the beginning or mid-December we won't have um, a new government. Um, but there is also one last point that I want to say uh, that uh, Professor Timothy Gardinash was saying that maybe we will have, we Poland, we will have the possibility to go back to dialogue with Germany and France. And such dialogue um, would, I think, tremendously help us uh, going back and like reintegrating re back with the Western Europe as a leader of Central European, Central Eastern Europe. I'll, I'll enumerate three priorities, uh, which are not yet there with the new government, but just we have to remember. First, it will be a rule of law. Rule of law in the Polish dimension, but also fully compliant with the direction Europe has been pursuing in make, making democracies resilient and making them also transatlantic. Second priority will be uh, focus on primarily transatlantic relations. That has multiple 
levels. One of that is strictly speaking military and Ukraine, but the other one is also strictly speaking energy sector. We already know from the winning coalition that we will build a nuclear power plant. It's a continuous effort started by even before eight years ago, now taking shape under this government and the next government will honor these obligations. And this will be an American powered uh, um, uh, project. So the nuclear power plant in Poland will complement the power plants in across Central Eastern Europe. And that is also uh, something that has to do with LNG uh, supplies, uh, energy diversity, projects, pipelines, and uh, uh, infrastructure that allows for diversification and resilience in security terms, which is and has been advocated primarily by U.S., and has been the, the the cornerstone also of the cooperation for many years in the past and for, for the upcoming future as well. And the relations in Europe with the US will be therefore so important. Uh, finally, the enlargement. Uh, Poland has been the star, one of the biggest advocate of the Eastern Partnership countries and um, the, the framework and then the enlargement. And it clearly is the country that is essential in the process. But it has been silent. It will take time before Poland takes up uh, this topic. Um, it will have to deal internally with our own setup preparing for enlargement, but expect this voice on the future of enlargement of Ukraine, Moldova, of the Western Balkans to, to, to rise again in close collaboration, not between Warsaw and Budapest, but much more between Warsaw and Prague who is the other champion of this topic in Central Eastern Europe. Thank you both. Uh, I have one last question to ask before I let both of you go. Um, it is rare to see such high-ranking European-level politicians go back to national politics, yet now Donald Tusk has returned as Prime Minister after being in the Council of Europe. So why did he do this? And also, will Poland benefit from having a Prime Minister with the large network at the European level that being at the helm of the European Council brings? You know, my answer, the easy answer is he never left. When he was, the, you know, the, I mean, Poles have this weakness for foreign powers or foreign positions of, of different important Poles that we are appreciated through the international success of, of our representatives. And in that sense, um, we indeed had uh, um, Donald Tusk continuously present in uh, in Poland, in, in Polish politics. He was also not let go <laughs> by a PIS government that grilled him for all the for all the time uh, that we uh, we we uh, we basically had uh, him outside of Polish politics, so seven years or so. And when he returned last year, um, he was welcomed by his party to say it openly also he did not take back control of his party in a fully democratic process basically said i'm back i'm taking back the reins of the of the party and everybody said oh how fantastic let's do it um and then that's uh, i think that is uh, somehow really important for um for understanding that um donald's Tusk position in Polish politics has been also curated by himself when he was appearing before he came back into the real game, already before generating interest, having comments, 
and always keeping an eye on the Polish direction in EU. You see, probably it is because Europe is so important to Poles for, again, security reasons and partly maybe sentimental reasons. Uh, cannot, uh, cannot exclude that. Um, and also the transatlantic link is no less important and it shapes this environment that allows us to thrive. Poles learn history, they remember history, they live through political memory, and everybody still remembers, even the, the new generations, that, you know, it was never as good as now, and the risk of uh, destroying or damaging even these prospects for the future are quite real, and that what's also underpins um, why you know the direction, the move away from PIS, away from those who experiment with our prosperity and security. But you mentioned the young generation, and um, I think it's uh, pretty important to uh, follow what will happen in Poland and what will be hap happening in next four, maybe eight years. Because we have to get this generational shift right now. Also, you can see already in the um, in the post uh, post election that the, the newly elected government, there are many younger and younger. I mean, around thirty uh, thirty under forty uh, year old uh, MPs, and uh, well, the leader such as Donald Tusk or or Kaczynski, they will have to go away they will have to fade out one day and there will be such a need for the generational shift so i think he was very welcomed as Wojciech said he was pretty needed right now to consolidate probably the the civic coalition maybe even to consolidate the uh, democratic opposition um and of course his network and his background uh, will be very much useful right now when we really have to work uh, closer with the international and euro atlantic um zone and then within the schemes however i would really uh look more closely into it in the future who will maybe not replace him or maybe who will work with him and who will be made to replace him in the future yeah well, he'll be definitely very lonely when Mr. Kaczynski leaves. Uh, <laughs> as a, his sparring, his only living sparring partner of of the you know, uh, for, for for in the political game. But uh, but that is that is uh, yet to be seen. I think Donald Tusk has got a longer run definitely than Mr. Kaczynski. Uh, let's see how he performs when he's basically today the all the uh, the the winning the, the parties that comprise the the winning coalition of sorts declared um, ahead of consultation with the president that they will support him for the prime minister uh, as a designated prime minister to, to make the new government. So things are looking this kind of well this direction. We'll see what happens in 2025 elections when the presidential election uh, will offer this temptation for Donald Tusk uh, to actually maybe try it. You know, last time he tried, he lost. That was the last election, the only one lost election in his career so far um i if i was a betting man i would i would consider putting some money for that race that he'll he'll run in it anieszka wojcic thank you so much for joining us today uh, your insight has been very much welcomed by amir as you heard in our podcast today 
though the election is over, a government has yet to be formed, so you can continue to expect major developments in this new era of Polish politics. This was the MIR Podcast with Theodor Gaspar. Thank you for listening.